Good morning. <laughs> it's great to have you here this morning. Um, let's continue in our series beginnings in the book of Genesis, and we're in chapter 4. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it up to chapter 4. If you need one, raise your hand, and Alex will run one down to you. And, and as your hands are raised, I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Lord, once again, we are thankful to be here for all that you're doing, for an opportunity to not only gather together, but to open our hearts and our minds to you and what you would want to speak to us. And so we do pray that we would be postured to listen, that we would fight off distraction and that our attention would be given to you and that the things that we read and the things that I speak would help us in our lives and how we live. Thank you again for always wanting to work, Lord. May we recognize that and may we want to see that work take place in our lives. For we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. If you can, read with me. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain and his brother Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where is your brother Abel?" I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. A very familiar story, and a very strange one in so many ways. And as it starts out, we have to remember where we've come from. And as you might recall, I mean, 
what's taking place here in the book of Genesis, we're getting these stories that are supposed to teach us something. And, and they're really clear in the, what this story contains. In chapter 1, in the first verses of chapter 2, we, we get this big picture of creation, this understanding that God, Elohim, created everything. And that uniquely man was made in God's image, in his likeness. Male and female, he created them. And then we see in chapter 2, the picture gets a little bit more detailed, where God breathes into Adam and Eve his life. How Adam gives names to all the animals, but there is not one suitable for him, and then God creates Eve for Adam. And there is this beautiful picture of God breathing his life into Adam and then Adam sharing that life with his wife Eve and together they move into this paradise. And they're given this warning, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you may eat every other tree that is in the garden. And so there is that story again of how intimate we are connected to God and at that time, Man was connected not only to God, but to creation, to each other, and even to himself. There was this kind of holistic thing that was taking place. He was complete. Chapter 3, we talked about the fall, and this is where we pick up. Remember that in this fall that there was a curse that was now placed, that Adam and Eve had been living in this presence of God. And then the next thing we know is they take of the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. There is the tree. I'm going to draw a tree. There it is. I was going to get more complicated and I thought better. Um, There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and as they ate of that tree, then they found shame. What they understood now, what they gained, wasn't beneficial. It was actually harmful. Before they ate, there was innocence. They were naked and not ashamed, we are told, in chapter 2. But now... They saw that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to hide themselves from each other. And so we saw that there was shame, that they hid themselves from each other and from God. And remember, God said, where are you? Not that God didn't know, but God wanted them to know. And so we saw that question of where are you? And it was very telling because they had fallen. Where are you? And then also God said to Eve, what have you done? And as he asks them these questions, it's there for a purpose. It's there to help us understand the point of the story. And from this, we then go into the curse where the serpent is cursed and there is enmity between the serpent and the woman. And in this curse, there was this promise we talked about where her seed would crush his head and the serpent would bruise his heel. And this is prophetic talking about Jesus dying on the cross. We also see that she is going to 
suffer with pain of childbirth because of this, and Adam is going to have to to work in the ground. And so God actually curses the ground here. And he curses the ground. Ground. I need a bigger board. I need it. I'd like to have a huge board. That like a whiteboard. It's like anything's possible. You can just write anything and who knows what you'll write. I don't even know what I'm going to write. I'm making look at the tree. That was not planned. And there it is. You're saying, I know. Uh, and so we see that this was leading into this chapter and something interesting happens in chapter 3 as it starts out. It says that Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. The, the word Cain, his name means to acquire or, or to receive, to possess. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Any guys feel like a little bit outed here? With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. It's like, well, Adam was like, well, I was there too. You know, it's, it's one of those things, guys, get used to it. If you don't have kids and you do have kids, it's not about you. It's about the wife and the baby. And, and so, but she's not, she's not really disregarding Adam, but there's something amazing that she's thinking. She is now part of this procreation. She is now part, and what an amazing thing I have acquired from God, this man. Now, of course, he was born a baby. He's a little baby boy. He wasn't born a man, but in her mind, she had received from God a man. And a lot of scholars believe that she saw in Cain the fulfillment of the promise in chapter 3, verse 15, that between her seed and the serpent, there would be this enmity, that this might be the one. I have now conceived and have this child. And we know something is interesting because later on, she says, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel's name means vanity, breath. What a jip, right, for the guy Abel? Now, if you know someone who's named Abel, it's like, sorry, dude. It's funny, the names, you know, oh, it's a biblical Abel. It means vanity. Just like the name Caleb means dog, just for your information. So if you're thinking about naming your kid. And so something's taking place here. Cain, I've acquired from God. Abel, it's vanity. Maybe after Cain was born, she recognized that this actually isn't the promise. He is now just one of many descendants that will be born. And so now there is this seeming of vanity. And again, it's an interesting picture, especially when you have children. You know, when you find out, oh, we're pregnant, and you're excited. All right, this is so great. You know, we're going to have twins. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. I can't believe it. We are blessed by God. And then after time, you find out, oh, we're pregnant again. Oh, vanity. (laughs) There, there is a reality that sets in and you start recognizing, oh, this is a lot of work. This is a lot that's going to take place. And so there is an interesting dynamic that takes place. And, and then the, the story moves on. It says that Abel, the younger one, he kept flocks and work, Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain, the older one, 
he brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain now takes what he is doing and he brings it to the Lord. He does it first. And then Abel, his younger brother, takes what he's doing. The the offering comes from the, the livestock that he has. Now, I've heard and have even entertained this thought that, well, you know, it was the animal sacrifice that God received and not the grain. But there are grain offerings in the law. So it's not necessarily the offering itself that was unpleasing to God. And and we're going to talk about that. But now here's this dynamic. The older brother takes an offering. The younger brother follows in his steps like younger brothers do, also brings an offering. And God says, I'm seeing this the younger brother's offering, and I'm receiving it, but I'm not receiving yours. And we see that because of that, Cain was very angry. In verse 5, the word anger means heated. He, He was raging. You know what it is when you get angry and your ears turn red? You're so upset and it's just like you're fuming. He's angry, and who is he angry at? Is he angry at God? Maybe. But he's definitely angry at his brother, and his face is downcast. This is amazing, because here is worship, an offering being given to God, and in this place of worship where you're supposed to get rid of anger, right? Worship is where we get rid of the bad stuff. It's where we get rid of the negative emotions. Worship is where we go to be changed. We, we come here to God to be changed. And in this place of worship, a very bad change takes place. It's in this place of worship that he is changed in the opposite way. And instead of being changed for the better, he's actually changed for the worse. And it's scary to think that we could be changed in that way in a place where you come to look for a positive change. You know, it's interesting sometimes because we can be really removed from idea of worship and become very self-centered and self-aware. You know, we might be singing that, Lord, I'm going to give you my all. All that I have is yours. I mean, and we are thinking that and we are singing that, but in our lives, that's not the case. We have no plans to change how we're living. We're we're still going to live for ourselves. We're still going to do the things that we do. Some of them that might not be pleasing to God, we're still going to live here. But, oh, I'm singing. I'm, and not only are we singing, we're moved. I, I'm, I'm touched. I'm lifting my hands. There's tears coming down my face. I am giving my all, but my life is not changing at all. And, and where I'm at... And what I'm singing are two different things. And now there's a problem because we're removed from those things that are actually a part of our lives and we're entering into this place where we're actually doing religious duty and activity. 
And you see, what I think is happening here with Cain is Cain has got anger in his heart, maybe even hostility already towards his brother. But something isn't connecting with his offering to God and with his life. And so God says, no, I'm not accepting this. And instead of Cain saying, well, why didn't you accept it? He's angry and he's downcast and he's now upset because God didn't receive this. It might be that in this person who is the the first worshiper and how he became the first murderer is because the way he wanted to worship and the way he felt himself, about himself, wasn't right and wasn't accepted, but instead of recognizing that, he was going to lash out against that. Think about this. Think about all the wars that have taken place and do take place over religion. Think of the Muslims, the Jews. Think of the Catholics, Protestants. Throughout history, there have been wars based on religious belief. And Christianity has been lumped into those things, whether you have the Crusades and these kinds of things, where in the name of Jesus, people have gone out killing to try and promote the kingdom of God. Because what I believe is right, because my religion is the truth. And when someone stands up and says, well, I believe this, it angers them. And instead of thinking, well, how do I represent God in this? I want to squash the other voice. I want to silence them. And so we have the same thing that has been happening throughout history. Because no one likes to be told that what they believe or how they do things is wrong. This is very personal to us. And if someone were to come here to Genesis and say, you know, you guys do things wrong. I'd probably feel a little awkward, a little angry. Well, don't come here. Go somewhere else where they do it right. You traditionalist. (laughs) Because this is my community. This is what I know. This is my identity. And so Cain has... Put this together and whatever is going in his mind, he's thinking, oh man, this is magnificent. I've got the fruits and the vegetables all separated according to color, according to size. What a display I have here. Oh my goodness. I am marvelous. God, look at this. This is marvelous. God says, no, that something's wrong. I don't accept this. What? You see... This took my effort. This is what I had. But what Cain is doing is really creating his own religion here. And what God is caring about is what's taking place within Cain, not just what's coming out and being presented before him. And this is an important dynamic because there is a difference between 
the works of the law and doing good things. Paul, throughout Romans, gives this kind of declaration that it's one thing to have to, to do something to please God where your efforts make you right before God. And then there's another thing that just doing good things is actually something that God is pleased in. And so we can get lost in thinking, well, if it's good, it's good. But no, there can be a a good effort in the wrong reason or for the wrong motives and thinking that that good effort is going to be enough to get you right before God, which makes the offering meaningless. What are you offering anything to God for if you're thinking that it's good enough? What I do is good enough to please you. Then it's not really an offering It's more like, here, I'm just showing you. And so we have this dynamic that's taking place. And in this place where Cain is stewing, where he's fuming, the Lord speaks to Cain. You see, it's not like God doesn't love Cain. It's not like God says, nope, I don't accept you away from me. Be gone. In fact, we have no dialogue of God and Abel. It's not like Abel is my favorite and Cain is my least favorite. No, we we see that God is actually spending the time to talk with Cain. And don't you find that true that it's the child or the person at work or whoever it is who's the most difficult is the one you spend the most time with? You're, You're trying to work with them? You know... Corrine and I, when we had children, we, we had the twins at the beginning. And if we knew their names, you know, if we could name them according to their life, like they do in scripture, we probably should have named them nitro and glycerin uh, <laughs> because they just blew our lives up. Okay. And, and these boys just were at it always with each other. They were just, I mean, rambunctious. They were spirited, just had more energy than either of us could handle. And then we had our younger son. And, you know, we we're kind of like, oh, you bumped your head. Are you okay? Okay, I'll be right with you because I got to put out the fire that the other two are putting out, you know? It was kind of like that. And then we had the younger daughter who was the baby and a girl. So we've got nitro and glycerin over here. There's my, you okay? Okay. And then there's the baby. Okay, you all right? And so we have this middle child who we probably truthfully spent the least time, you know, with, just telling you, you know, looking back and saying these things, who probably had the least problems out of all of them. Uh, yeah, how did, what does that do to your ego, you know? <laughs> the one who, who turned out the best is the one we left our hands off and said, well, I hope you're okay. I don't know why I just confessed my life to you guys, but so God spends time with Cain because something's going on and he cares about him. He's not disregarding him. He actually cares about him. And he looks to Cain and as he speaks to him, he says, why are you downcast? Because it was visible. And he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Does God mean that? Of course he does. And so it means that something is wrong. And if you do what is right, you will be accepted. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 
11 and 12, it says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Now we're going to find out. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And so now the jealousy comes out. His were right before God, Abel, but mine were evil. And God says, if you change your attitude and your heart, won't you be accepted? In other words, I'm, I'm wanting to accept this offering, this sacrifice. I'm wanting your worship, but I won't just take this worship that is tainted by your jealousy, tainted by your pride, tainted by your self-righteousness. I can't receive that, but if you do what is right... Won't you be accepted? And then he gives them a warning. And he says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And once again, we see that if we will not rule over our desires, they will bury us. And if you will not master what you desire, then what you desire will be your master. And God gives him this warning. Jesus gave us this insight in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21. He says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that Anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, which is what Cain and Abel were doing, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them and then come and offer your gift. And so this is exactly what God is doing with Cain and Abel. Take care of things, what needs to be taken care of, and then come back. If you do what's right, it's accepted. But if not, something is waiting to consume you. And it will take you down. And you see, God is begging Cain to make the right choice. God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He gave them the choice. You can eat any other tree, just not this one. They chose this one. God is telling Cain, you can make the right choice. Don't make the wrong one. If you do, you will plummet mankind further away from me. And the whole idea is, again, we are created in God's image, and so it's important that we try and maintain that image. And every time we do something against the nature and character of God, we become less like God and less human, less like who we were intended to be. And so Jesus gives this illustration, and he says, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. 
But I'm telling you, it's deeper than that. And here's what happens with us many times. You know, here's our heart. I can draw a heart. You know, and God wants to protect the core of who we are. And so God says to us, you need to make the right choices so that you can be whole. And then what we do is say, okay, well, we don't want to make any wrong choices, so we want to build a fence around our hearts and we're going to keep anything bad from coming. And so here are these bad things that come and this, you know, all the evils that will try and come at us. And here might, let's say this will be murder. Yeah, that's a bad thing. Murder. And let's say here is like adultery. And then here, you know, is dishonesty, lying. And so we want to keep a, a gate around our lives so that none of these bad things will come in. And so what we do is we make up rules. Okay, to keep from being an adulterer, well, then we have to set up boundaries. I know this one church and anyone who comes on staff at the church has to sign a contract. In that contract, it says that they are not allowed to text or instant message a person of the opposite sex if they are married. Because they're wanting to keep them from getting into adultery. Now they do this for legal reasons. Because it's a big church and if something happens, they need to be able to go back and say, well, we told them they signed the contract, so we're not liable for the devastation that this person has caused in this family. But you see, people who sign the contract still commit adultery. They still text message. They still do what they want to do. And, and we do this with so many things, you know. Well, we don't want, you know, to be a murderer. That's an obvious one, okay? Don't kill. It's hard to get closer to not... I just beat him up real bad. I didn't murder him, so don't beat him up, you know. But say, like, even uh, drunkenness. Okay, well, we don't want to be drunk. We know that that's wrong. And we, we like to label things. Everything's a sin that we think is bad. Some things are just stupid, right? Was that a sin? I don't know, but it's stupid. You know, is it a, a sin to drink and drive? I don't know, but it's stupid. Does it have to be a sin to be wrong? Some things should just be wrong because they're stupid. Okay, but we don't want someone to drink and drive or get drunk, we'll put drunk, and so what we say is there's no alcohol. If you drink, you'll get close to here. But then you have people who still get drunk, and now they feel excluded. But the problem isn't whether you drink. The problem isn't whether you text. The problem is what's going on inside of you. And this is what needs to be dealt with, is who you are. Because you can text someone and not have any bad intentions and it not go anywhere bad. Jesus drank wine. He was not a drunk. People can drink and not get drunk. And it's all about taking charge of your life and being responsible for the things that you do. So instead of trying to build a fence and stop all the evils from coming to you, recognize the responsibility that has been given to you. You have been created in God's image. What are you doing and is it going to take away the image of God that is in you? Because that's where the problem is. 
And so instead of building a fence, what we need to do is nurture our hearts so that the love that is within us for God and for others will grow. God warns Cain. He pleads with him. He says, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if not, sin is at the door, crouching, and its desire is to master you, but you must rule over it. Jesus tells us that we are to take that offering to God and if there's anything wrong with others, get rid of it so that we can then come before God. And then Cain takes his brother out in the fields, he attacks him and he kills him. Once a person violates their relationship with God, then we recognize that they will violate every other relationship that they have. You see, once this heart has lost the contact with God, once that is broken, where between God and man, this separates, then all these other things start to flood in. But if you have the relationship with God, then it will guard every other relationship you have because that is what's important to you, because that is who you are. That's your identity. It's something that matters to you. Not because I want people to think of me. No, this is who I am. I'm not going to betray who I am. This is vital to my existence. And then the Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He says, after he kills him, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And then what do we see? We see God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? He asked Cain the same questions. He says, where is your brother? He says, I don't know. And then we see God asks Cain the same question. He asks Eve, or tells him, he says, what have you done? And the same thing happens. And now, God didn't curse Adam and Eve. He cursed the ground. But now the ground is actually going to curse Cain. Because the ground has been tainted now with his brother's blood. And the curse is not that God is saying, okay, I'm going to do this to you. The curse is you've done this and this is the consequences of your actions. You spilled your brother's blood on the ground and now the ground itself is going to lash out against you. You will work the ground, you will be a wanderer. And, the, and remember, that's what Cain's offering was from. It was all about the ground. It was I was offering this to you, but now what we see is, you know, verse 11, cursed and driven from the ground. Verse 12, you will, when you work the ground, it will no longer lead its crops you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so the ground is no longer your place. It was where you used to worship, but it's now cursed. And so this is something that Cain is now recognizing, the separation between he and God. So how do we guard our hearts? And how do we get to this place where we want to be genuine, but we recognize that it's not just by our own good works that we're right before God. And so we have to recognize that there is no self-justification. And Paul addresses this useless idea of works in Romans chapter 3. He says, that is a different category from simply it's not doing good. Doing good is actually joining in with what God's activity is. And he says, the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. 
So then, he tells us in Galatians, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those are to the household of faith. So when we engage in good things, we're engaging in the same work that God did in the very beginning. God created and said it was good. God did this and it was good. Well, when we start doing the things that are good, we are engaging in that creative activity that God has done as well. And it's good for us. Doing good is the first act of worship. And so that is of utmost concern to God. Don't tell me you love me if you hate your brother, John tells us in 1 John. How can you love God whom you haven't seen and hate your brother who you do see? And Jesus says the same thing. If you don't forgive these people, neither will your father forgive you. Whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And so doing good is the first act of worship. Caring is an act of worship. And if you're going to bring that offering to God, whether it's a song, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a time of fasting, whatever you are going to bring to God, it has to be covered with this concern and care and love for others. That is what worship is about. And after this, then the offering is acceptable. The prayers of a righteous man avails much. Who's a righteous man? The one who cares about what God cares about. The one who loves the things God loves. The one who loves others. That's what needs to happen. See, we don't neglect doing good and sharing because that's what we're supposed to do. In Hebrews 13, it says, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Did you hear that? What is a sacrifice now to God? It is not neglecting doing good and sharing. That was giving of what they had. And, and so God is telling us, don't diminish who you are. He was warning Cain, telling him, choose door number two, not door number one. Don't obsess over door number one. He didn't tell Cain to, you know, think about it, think about it, think about what you're going to do. He didn't tell Cain, Cain, build a fence, think about not getting drunk, think about all these things. He said, if you do good, won't you be accepted? You see, the problem isn't building a fence, the problem is do something that takes you in the different direction. Do something that will open up this pathway so that you and God have that communication. How do we do that? You do good to other people. You care about other people. It's amazing what happens when you give of yourself. You find that you have more to give. God replenishes you. Why? Because God is pleased with it and it's in connection with who he is and what happens. Cain had a choice. In fact, the choice is actually forced on him. Free will is forced on all of us. He has the choice to choose between dealing with his heated emotions, giving into them, or listening to what God says to him. 
And for the moment, he has the freedom to choose. But understand this, even though we have the freedom to choose, we don't have the freedom from the responsibility or the consequences of those choices. You have the freedom to make a choice, but you're not free of the consequences for what you choose. And when Cain made the choice, the consequences came. And we need to recognize this. Some choices once made leave us imprisoned and sometimes for the rest of our lives. My choices don't only reveal who I am, but they actually determine who I will become. And so you are becoming the choices that you make today. God made us in his image. Wrong choices turn us into something else. And so we live in a world that is broken because of wrong choices that were made. And as God spoke to Cain, he spoke to Adam and Eve, he pleaded with them that they would listen to him. So, how do we get free from this? How do, how do we break from the bondage that's there? How do we deal with the heated passions that might be crouching at the door? It's not by willpower. It's not by extra prayers, extra fasting. You see, what we need is kind of a, a spiritual antibiotic. We need something that can help us. And that spiritual antibiotic is the love of Christ who shows us how to love others as we love ourselves and just as he loves us. We love because he first loved us. He has given us an example that we should walk in him. And so what we need to do is recognize that if we are going to stop the power of these evil desires coming upon us. You're not going to stop it by thinking about it or thinking of ways to stop it. You're not going to stop it by, you know, not texting or not doing certain things and stopping these things. You're going to stop it by engaging in the things that you should do. If you care about something, you will follow what you care about. You see, the reason I don't want to have an affair isn't because, you know, well, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. The reason I don't want to have an affair is because I actually love my wife, because I actually love my family. I actually love my daughter and want her to know that you can marry someone who will not cheat on you. I want to be an example of that to her. I want to do something that is going to be positive. And so to stop the things coming in, you'd have to love something more. And that's why Jesus didn't say, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to make sure no evil comes upon you. The greatest commandment is to make sure that you do not use any profanity. The greatest commandment is that you do not engage in sexual immorality. No, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And in this is all the law and the prophets fulfilled. 
If you want this relationship, you have to engage in the love and the good that God wants to do for others. So now someone hurts you because people do. They're jerks. We are jerks sometimes. And so someone hurts you. They slander you. They say something about you, mis- you know, malign you, and you see them at Starbucks. And you know because they've told countless people that, you know, this lie about you. And then you engage them. And you see them and you're just like, I'd like to slap them right now. Okay. So, no, i got to put up a fence. Don't walk near them. Don't slap them. No, instead... Try this. Try using them or the anger, you know, I, God, I am so, or just instead, when you see this person, if you're saying, Michael, you really irritated me. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Bring Jesus into your passion for what is going on. It's amazing what happens when our bodies interact with the things that we're thinking. I read somewhere, it was in a book, where this lawyer, when he ever has someone doing a deposition, that's what it is, a deposition, that he has them sit there and he has them put their palms up. Because when your palms are up, it changes your attitude in those things. When I'm Training dogs, if I've got a dog that's skittish or wants to kill me, I don't put my hand out like this to get them. I put my hand underneath and they're curious and they want to come and get it. Just a simple change of posture can change the dynamic of a situation. The change of your heart's posture can change the situation. And so instead of, Abel, he stole my thunder. God was going to receive my sacrifice, but you came in and took it. Now I'm upset with God, and so I'm going to take it out on you. If Cain could have stopped and said, I'm so upset with you, but God loves you, and brought God into the picture, he could have changed his posture. So in the same breath as you name that, anger and that passion, add the name of Jesus. And that way you can allow him to redeem the negative thoughts and passions and allow his work to start to enter your soul, heal the wound, and give us grace that he has given to us, to those around us. The story in chapter 4 is the story of a person making a choice To not give grace, but to take matters into his own hands. To a person, instead of changing his heart so that he could worship, he chose to change the circumstances to accept his worship. And we see Cain is the beginning of another religion. I'm going to do things my way. And we find out that this murder continues on even through his sons. And so may we learn the lesson, chapter 4. May we understand the importance of the choice that we make. May we recognize that when we give in to the things that are contrary to the nature of God, that we are becoming less human. That we are 
changing our image and being something that God has not created us to be. May we hear his voice, even as he spoke to Cain. He says, if you do what is right, will I not accept you? And so may we do good to those so that the good works that we do can be the first step in whatever offering that we bring. Let's pray. Father, we are surrounded by people who hurt us and who we've hurt. We live in a world that is at war with each other and with you. And Lord, what we need to do is recognize the things necessary so that we can move out of this battlefield and into your presence to receive the grace in that time of need, to be able to live in a way that acknowledges you completely. And so when we are confronted, God, with that anger, with that temptation, with that desire to to do something stupid, something that would take us away from your likeness, something that would make us less and not more, At that time, may we choose door number two. May we choose to give of ourselves to someone else. May we get lost in generosity. May we seek to build up and not tear down. And may that grace that you've given us overflow from us to others and in the process change us. And so God, help us to learn the lesson of Cain and Abel. How to deal with our anger. How to recognize that what you desire, pure religion is this, to care for the orphans, the widows, and those in distress. That true religion is to care about others more than ourselves. And whenever we find ourselves pious, self-righteous, looking down, putting down others and their beliefs. May we remember this story. May we recognize that we do not represent you when we bring judgment to others. You're the one who will judge. So Lord, help us to pour grace out just as you've poured it on us. And thank you for this time, Lord. Might it enrich our lives, the things that we've learned here today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.